This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus name. We're in Psalm 89. Interestingly, Psalm 89, I think is the second long Psalm, the second longest Psalm in the Bible. It may not be the second longest. It may be the third longest, but it is a very long song. It is written by a guy named Ethan in scripture. He he is a contemporary of David and Solomon and considered to be one of the wisest men in Israel's history. Sadly for him, in the in that sense, he was not the wisest man at the time he lived because Solomon was wiser than he, but he was a very wise man. And he writes a psalm basically about the line of David. So it has some prophetic elements to it. And it also is speaking of God's plan and his sovereign will. And it is also talking about ultimately the coming of Jesus Christ and his coming to, to be the Messiah. And it is because it is so long, I'm going to guess that it will at least take me, it's 52 verses. I think it's the third longest song. The, the, it's going to take me at least two days to get through it. So we got to get going if we're ever going to make it all the way. Great service yesterday, great Sunday. Enjoyed uh, the fellowship, enjoyed all the visits. We are going to keep moving along and expecting really uh, good things to come. He said, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. And actually, several songs, modern day hymns and modern day praise songs, have that as a part of their song. I'll sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. In fact, there was a, a song written in the last 20, 20 25 years, maybe even as, as, as many as 30 years ago. I will sing of your love forever. This is I will sing of your mercies forever. My mouth will be, will, will, um, with my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. And ultimately, that really is what songs do, if you think about it, because we still today sing songs from hundreds of years ago. And I'm quite sure that some of the songs that are written today, not all of them, but some of them, will be sung in a hundred years from now, if we still are here. And I would just say that the singing of songs is a is something that has been passed down. And if you think about this, this is written nearly 3,000 years ago. 3,000 years ago, This what we're reading today was written. And we still sing and use these <clears throat> words that are written 3,000 years ago to sing about God. And that ought to, that ought to really, really give you a perspective on, on the eternality of God and the, and the finiteness of us. Because the man who wrote this has been gone so long that we would never, ever be able to trace anything back to him as far as his family. And yet the song that he wrote is alive and well and being read and used 3,000 years later. He says, for I've said, mercy shall be built up forever. 
Your faithfulness you shall establish in the very heavens. Mercy is built up forever. That mercy that was shown to him is still at work. And even people that lived 3,000 years ago who served God, who walked with God, who trusted God, the mercies that they walked in and the faithfulness that they walked in are still being known today because that faithfulness is carried on through the generations. Oftentimes we think everything is going to be utterly and ultimately destroyed. We so many times come to life and think, boy, everything is going haywire and it's going to be destroyed. The truth is that's not true. That is always the roaring of the enemy. He has no teeth. He cannot conquer us. He cannot destroy us, but he roars at us to make us afraid. And, and the truth is there is no fear. There's no need to fear. God has established his plan and he's established his purpose. He said, I've made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant, David. Now, this is a, this is one of the uh, verses that is, has a, a prophetic aspect to it. He says, I've made a covenant with my chosen. This is called the Davidic covenant. Just real quick, just so, you know, I always want to teach and and give perspective and listen and anybody who's listening give them an idea of the full, the story of God through through the scriptures written by 40 men on three different continents over a period of about 2 to 3000 years and it all flows together perfectly you have the Adamic covenant you have the covenant with Adam after he fell you have the Abrahamic covenant that is the covenant with Abraham that he's going to he's going to make him a great nation and out of that nation the Messiah would come. Then you have the Mosaic covenant and that's the covenant of the law. That's the unveiling of God's character and nature to his people. And then for some reason, oh, I forgot the Noahic covenant between the Adam and Abraham. You have the Noahic covenant that God is not going to destroy the earth again by flood and he is not going to destroy the earth again until he comes back and sets all things new. And that's a wonderful covenant. And then, and then you have the Davidic covenant is the covenant that points toward the culmination of really all those other covenants that in this line, the line of David, there will become a Messiah. And uh, Matthew and Luke open up, both of those gospels open up with genealogies. One of them is the genealogy of Joseph and the other is the genealogy of Mary, and both of their genealogies, both of their lines go all the way back to David. Jesus's, Jesus's heritage from his stepfather and from his mother are both back to King David. So he is in the line of David. So he is the root of David. It says, he says, I have sworn to, to my servant a covenant. He says, your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. Notice, it's a generational throne. It's a, genera it's a throne that is established and lasts through all generations. And we know that's true. And he's, he's, he is going back to the promises made to, uh, to David, the promise that his throne will be established and it'll go to all generations. That was made in 2 Samuel. And if you, wanna, if you ever wanna read the story of David, He's in 1 Samuel a little bit, but mainly 2 Samuel really spells out his life and what he's doing. He says, and the heavens will praise you, your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. For who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? You could make that a praise song today, couldn't you? He says, the heavens praise him, the wonder, praise the wonders, his wonders. Uh, his faithfulness is always spoken of in the assembly of the saints. That's what our 
That, that's what we that's what we sing of every Sunday morning. Great praise, great job the praise team did yesterday. Uh, wonderful worship yesterday. For who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? Who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? No one can. What a great question. Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? Nobody. And uh, that may even speak back to all the way back to Noah's time in the Nephilim. He says, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints. He is. The healthy recognition of his of how much greater and more than we are, he is. And yet he is still intimate. That that is a I, I can't be I can't be close and intimate with an ant. I I I I'm at and I cannot connect, but yet God is far greater and more higher than I am, and yet he connects with me. So that is proof of how wonderful he is. He says, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. O Lord, a God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord? That is, we just, we've busted out in just a straight up praise song. He said, O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord? Your faithfulness also surround, surrounds you, meaning every, he, he exudes faithfulness. His aura is faithfulness. Faithfulness is just, it's just who he, what, a, what a, I mean, that's true. God is faithful and his faithfulness encourages it in his sights. It builds up and it produces faithfulness in us. We don't produce the faithfulness. God's faithfulness produces faithfulness in us. What, I mean, great, wonderful illustration. He says, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. And always, I think, when I read the word sea, I think of the Gentiles, but he does. He 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 smooths out the sea, uh, as, as that song we sing, Grace to Gardens, yesterday. He makes uh, seasoned highways. He does. He, he is, he's powerful. He's wonderful. He fixes what cannot be fixed. He says, you have broken Rahab in pieces as one who is slain. And remember, Rahab Everybody who's a believer thinks about when we hear the word Rahab, we think of Rahab, uh, the prostitute who was in Jericho, who who was who helped the spies, and she hung out a a, a scarf basically on her window, and and God did not store uh, the walls of Jericho came tumbling down except for the wall that was a part of her house, and it stayed up, and she she lived. She was a Canaanite. And she became a Jew and she became a part of the line of Jesus. And in fact, in, I think it's in the genealogy in Luke, but I could be wrong. It'd be Matthew. It might be the Matthew genealogy. We find Rahab in the line of Jesus. She is one of the ones who she's, I think, the great grandmother or the great grandmother of David himself. What a great story that is, isn't it? But here Rahab is a illusion back to Egypt. Uh, and Egypt is a picture of. And so he says, when you have, bro you have broken the world in pieces as one who is slain, you have scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. Notice he did. He, he, he destroyed Egypt. He destroyed Egypt's economy. He destroyed Egypt's gods, their religious structure. He destroyed their will to remain uh, a superpower in the world. And they were not a superpower in the world for, for many, many generations after he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt and, and planted them not too far away. And if you'll notice in Israel's history, 
They never deal with the Egyptians as an issue again. They never deal with them as an issue again. That's because they were utterly destroyed. They, they were utterly brought down. And it took well over a thousand years for them to ever even come back to where they were before when God broke them. It says, the heavens are yours. The earth is also yours. The world in all its fullness, you have founded them. By the way, that, that, that verse is used in several songs. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon rejoice in your name. Those are areas of uh, Israel. He says, you have a mighty arm. Strong is your hand and high is your right hand. Meaning God is strong and his right hand is higher than everyone else. It's powerful. He says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. It's right. It's right. It's righteous. And it's just. He does things uh, the right way. He says, mercy and truth go before your face. What a, what a powerful thing when, when uh, I say the uh, blessing over you, when usually I'm through teaching God's word, may his, may his face shine upon you. I, I love that mercy and truth are right there when his face shines upon you. Mercy and truth. God doesn't give us what we deserve. Uh, we deserve death, but his truth is still there. I, I, I was asked a question yesterday after the service about the wrath of God, because I said God's wrath won't be poured out on his children. And people sometimes understand wrath to be God's anger toward sin, and it's not. Uh, God's wrath is anger toward toward the not individual sin, but there's there's sin in the singular and sin in the plural. And it's his anger against the sin of the world or the world order of sin. And one of the reasons many believers believe, understand that God is not going to leave his church for the, for the tribulation is because he will not, the Bible clearly says that he will not pour out his wrath on the church. And wrath is, wrath is the destruction and the, and the attack of evil. And it's important to understand that God disciplines his children. And what does that mean? Discipline is for the purpose of growth and encouragement. And so sure, can it sometimes feel like wrath? It can feel that way, but it's not God's wrath because God's anger, God's not angry with us anymore. God's wrath comes from his anger at sin. And God's not angry with us anymore. He is, he is always at work bringing about us into his image and his likeness. And so he's not angry because the anger has been paid for. The, the sin has been dealt with as far as its payment. So there's no need for anger from God anymore. But now he, he does discipline his children. He does allow his children to go in the far country like the prodigal son. He allows us to, to deal with struggles and difficulties and also for those to have consequences. But those, all that stuff is not born out of his wrath. It's born out of his love and his grace and his mercy. And it brings about a changed life in us. And parents who don't want to discipline their children feel like they're being loving toward their children. That's not true. God is very loving toward us. I think that's evident uh, in his word that he's loving toward us. But he is, but that love involves discipline, correction. That love involves a hard, hard stance against sin. And he is always continually, regularly at work changing our lives, but, and dealing with our sin. 
but it's not out of his wrath. His wrath is poured out toward unbelievers and toward uh, Satan and uh, his angels and the demons and this fallen world. It's not toward us. And, and that's a good understanding to have. He said, blessed are the people who know, know, who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. In your name, they rejoice all day long and in your righteousness, they are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength and in your favor, our horn is exalted, meaning, meaning our strength is from him. I always say our faith is from him. Our strength is from him, from him. Our purpose is from him. All that we have that is good comes from him. Nothing that we have that is good comes from us. And understanding that even the ability to perceive him and to know that he exists comes from him does not come from us. It does not emanate from us. It emanates from him. He says, for our shield belongs to the Lord. You say, well, there are people out there that are not believers who know about God. That's right. Then the reason they know about it is because of his common grace, his grace that is shed on the whole world because of, they would not even know of him at all had it not been for the common grace that is that, that they benefit from even though they do not choose him. And even God's wrath is not on them totally right now. It's not on them totally because, because of common grace, because they get to experience some of the grace of God, even though, even though they do not seek him, they do not understand him, and they do not want him. He said, then you spoke in a vision to your holy one and said, I have given help to one who is mighty. And he's talking about Jesus here. I have exalted one from the people. I have found my, I have found my servant David with my holy oil. I have anointed him with whom my hand shall be established. He says, notice there's the anointing of God. There is the purpose of God. He says, with whom my hand shall be established. Also my arm and my strength, my arm shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him, nor the sons of wickedness afflict him. I will beat down his foes before his face and plague those who hate him. Notice how God goes out and fights for us. This is what God does. He fights for us. He says, but my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him. And in my name, his born shall be, his horn shall be exalted. Also, I will set his hand over the sea and his right hand over the rivers. Notice he's he, he's going to be in control of everything. Up until the time Jesus came, the Jews had not had dominion really over, over any, <clears throat> anything other than the promised land. But now God's dominion is over all the earth. And it's over the, all the earth through the Davidic covenant he made with David. He's, and, and it's over all the Gentiles. He says, he says, he shall cry to me, <clears throat> you are my father my God and the rock of my salvation. Also, I'll make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My mercy I will keep for him forever and my covenant shall stand firm with him. His seed also I will make to endure forever and his throne as the days of heaven. And, and this whole section here is an allusion toward Jesus and directly talking about David and an allusion toward the coming of the Christ and then I talk about David and how that covenant grows and becomes the whole plan of God embodied in Jesus Christ. He says, if his son forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, and David's uh, sons did do that, and his, his, his uh, descendants did turn away. 
If they break my statutes and they do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Notice there is punishment for sin. He says there is recompense for sin, but there's not wrath for sin. He says, nevertheless, my loving kindness, I will not utterly take from him. Notice he's not going to, he's not going to take away his loving kindness. There is wrath. There isn't wrath because wrath has nothing to do with the goodness of God. It all has to do with the judgment of God. He says, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. My covenant, I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Notice he's not going to break his covenant. This covenant is stands and is at work and is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. His, his, he says, once I have sworn my holiness, I will not lie to David. He says, his seed shall endure forever. And that's talking about Jesus and his throne as the sun before me, meaning it's never going away. He says, it shall be established forever like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the sky. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.